Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but I still love to learn about art anyway. I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but I still love to learn about art every single day as well. This is our last regular episode of this podcast. Our last episode is going to be like follow up, wrap up. So this is the last new topic that we're introducing. It's like, yeah, this is not our like last, last episode, but because this is our last, I guess, official topic, like right now, for some reason, all day today, I'm thinking I'm recording the last pictorial episode. I mean, again, it isn't, but it just, it feels very final, but you know, we'll, we'll have another one. Um, But yeah, it is, it is a, in a way, kind of a wrap up. And we have uh, quite a big topic for this week, um, which is Palestinian art. Um, and on on a certain level, I think this is kind of a nice follow-up to the two-parter that we just did, which was about Aboriginal art, and obviously, there's a lot going on right now, and I guess I want to say that, like, with Palestine, there is a tremendous amount of history, and if I tried to make a comprehensive statement, I, we would be here for hours this would be the entire episode and that's not what we're trying to do here we're trying to talk about art history but i do just want to say briefly um that i support a free palestine i support an end to settler colonialism in palestine and across the world and as someone in the united states um i encourage people for anyone who is in a country where our government is politically and financially supporting a government that is committing war crimes against civilians I do encourage you to stay informed and to speak out. And I also say there's a lot of dehumanization rhetoric going on right now that is very linked to racism. Um, And every single person who has been harmed or killed, Palestinian and Israeli, they are all human beings. They have the right to peace and dignity. Um, And it is a tragedy and a catastrophe that that is not being afforded to them. We've, I just, as I just alluded to, we've had a lot of episodes where we talked about the art of an oppressed people from both historical and contemporary artists, but we haven't had an episode where there is this level of current violence that is being enacted against a people and the cultural history of that people. Um, (laughs) There's violence being enacted against indigenous peoples everywhere all the time. Um, But obviously like this is a different scale and it's a different level of current conversation that is happening. And that's why I really wanted to talk about this because there have been over 100 cultural heritage sites in Gaza that have been damaged or destroyed in the past two months. These include libraries and universities, museums and mosques. And over the course of doing the show, I think that we both of us have seen the power of art as a way to preserve and communicate history and identity. And the destruction of those sites is part of an attempt to erase a culture. And so today we are going to be doing like just a tiny bit, like just the very beginning of this conversation of just looking at some Palestinian art and talking about a little bit of its history um, (laughs) with just a little bit of the time that we have. Um, So we'll be talking about all that art in just a moment, but there are going to be a lot of resources linked in the show notes for general stuff, um, including some things from the network uh, Libraries and Archivists with Palestine, which has a lot that's related to this idea of cultural heritage and is also representative from like where I'm coming from as a library worker. Yeah, I think we've talked a lot over the past 
four years now um, about how art can help to connect people and be a common language and building empathy. And I think, yeah, there's been so much tragedy. And obviously, I can't imagine what it's like for those um, affected by all the violence and destruction. But like Quinn said, there's been a lot of dehumanizing rhetoric. And I think it's important to remember that everyone's life is equally valuable. And I think if there's one thing I would hope listeners get out of our show is that, you know, is that there are many ways to see others as complex human beings. And one of the ways you can do that is through art. So um, I think, yeah, that's let's take a look at some. I think that this whole episode, there may be more of a somber tone over things just because this is a topic of great gravity, um, but also we're going to do our best to not only talk about like the circumstances that this art was created under, but also like celebrate these artists um, as we always try to do and like recognize people's talents and work, um, even in horrible contexts. Um, so with that being said, before we get into specific artists, I thought it would be nice to do kind of a general walkthrough of symbolism in Palestinian art. Palestinian art tradition um, is one that is full of a lot of symbolism, and you can see a lot of themes that are connected across activism and art in the ways that those intersect. Um, and so I thought we'd, we'd just do this general walkthrough first, and then I have a couple of artists that I want to highlight specifically. Um, so if you want to go to the very first link in the show notes. So there's an article here uh, that does this basic walkthrough that I want to look at. Um, so I want to start with uh, one that I think a lot of people have probably heard of recently, which is the watermelon. Um, have you heard of the watermelon as a symbol of Palestine? I think briefly, but th- this is something I've heard about, but but I don't really, I'm not really aware of the origins of where it came from. Yeah, this is actually a specific origin story of this has taken on a little bit of like contemporary mythology but the the reason why it's used as a symbol is because a watermelon is the same colors as the Palestinian flag um and that it was used um after the Arab-Israeli war in 1967 um is Israel Israel did not allow the display of the flag um, and the use of the colors of the flag was also not allowed. Um, And so so anything basically that was like red, green, black and white uh, put all together, that was barred because it was symbolizing um, the Palestinian flag. And then there, there's like a little bit of fuzzy uh, information on like how it turned into watermelons as this symbol. Um, there, I guess there, there, there's a story that um, these young men were arrested for just carrying watermelon. I, I think it seems like that story is probably apocryphal um, because there uh, is a testimonial from the artist uh, Slimin Mansur, who we're going to talk about a lot in a mo- just a moment. Um, but he's like an extremely prolific Palestinian artist. I um, mean, he gave a testimony that basically was that they like it did come from this era where the flag was banned. Um, but the pr- first person that made the association between watermelon and the Palestinian flag was actually an Israeli soldier um, who basically like the, he was being questioned on like what would be allowed and not allowed. And he kept saying like things wouldn't be allowed. And he said like 
effectively said like even if you're carrying a watermelon um like anything that's the same colors um but then that became a symbol of palestinian pride um and it became like this uh art motif that was used over time and especially by uh this this artist um and sir who he <laughs> uh uses the watermelon a lot in his art um and that's what this uh piece right here that you see in this article um that's by him yeah, that makes sense. I definitely I definitely associated the colors and and that's what I presumed it was referring to, but I do just realize cuz I was scrolling down a little bit further on I think the fir- uh, the first yeah, the first page um and I see a image of um it's like a green background with a what I think is a like blue and white um porcelain plate and then there's a slice of watermelon and it's in like a or it's a slice of a circle obviously and i just realized that slice is kind of like the the triangle on the on the left side of the palestinian flag so like i'm like now i can see the association a lot more oh yeah yeah i think i don't think it's always used with that shape as well but there definitely is like when you invoke the shape like it becomes an even clearer uh association it's interesting how that symbolism became kind of backfilled, but it was something that did like develop out of, of Palestinian art and now is used internationally as a as a symbol for support with Palestine. I think because it's an emoji and I don't I mean that in a non-derogatory way like I think when something is available as an emoji which means that it's extremely easy to put a visual representation of something um in an internet forum then it became very easy for the watermelon which was already used as a prominent symbol to became to 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 really spread internationally because people can just do it on their phones. Yeah, but that that is probably one of if not like the most prominent artistic symbol. Another one of these symbols that you see in a lot of Palestinian art um, is the Jaffa orange, uh, which is a real symbol of prosperity um, native to the land of Palestine. Um, and it, this is a real uh, where as the watermelon like really directly <laughs> represents the flag, um, the oranges are really sort of more of an abstract symbol of like optimism of hope for a future of prosperity a future of abundance um and which i think that like this is another thing that really transcends well over international lines and cultural lines because i think that like while uh oranges don't have the same specific cultural weight for me like i can immediately see like a depiction of a bowl full of oranges and be like that's clearly like a positive thing like showing um no one's eating oranges upset you know what i mean (laughs) like orange orange is something you sit down you peel you eat it's sticky it's lovely like that is something that is a time of plenty food yeah i don't i don't think i would ever associate oranges with like some some tragic or or i mean or yeah or some just unpleasantness like even if you don't like oranges like you it, it's it's still it's it's very bright and colorful and and it's also an emoji i'm gonna skip a couple in this article and i want to head to the olive tree um but before i talk about this could you describe the uh, olive tree painting here i'm looking at a painting that has a 
sort of dull greenish yellowish tinge background um and uh it's kind of uh there's kind of some noise texture on it there looks like a it looks like a tree in the front but it looks like a stump of a tree um not the full tree um and there's like little branches on the side um but it looks like a uh, a sapling maybe is growing out of the middle of the hollowed out tree and there's um, yeah, like little tiny green leafy saplings um, that's sticking out. Um, and then right behind, like juxtaposed behind the tree is what could either be a, a, the world's largest orange that is the size of a tree um, or it's it could also be a sun, but it's very like it's there's no like it doesn't look like there's light coming off of it. Um, so, yeah, it's basically um, an orange, but also a sun. That's interesting. Yeah, you can see how these like symbolisms build on each other where like it's a sun. But yeah, it also has it also kind of symbolizes an orange as well. And this is a, a, I think this painting is really beautiful and it actually is representing something that really happens um, where like these olive trees are native to Palestine um, and when Israel was created, um, they cut down olive trees and planted other trees. Um, but the olive trees are so hardy and so resilient and so like determined to be in this land that they would literally, uh, they would just come back and they would literally grow through uh, the transplant trees. Um, and so this is like an artistic rendering of this actual thing that happens and is obviously like extremely symbolic for this idea of like a, a return to the land as well as the, the olive trees like in many many cultures represents this international idea of peace like the olive branch yeah no that's that's really beautiful and um yeah and it's interesting I, i'm like i randomly i just associate things to school i guess um like i've been doing some uh research about like boston and because my project is located here and yeah there's um like right now or I've read like so many things just about like what indigenous plants were in this area and then what was planted um by settlers and then how certain things came back and certain things didn't and it's like it's such an it's such an interesting story just just talking about like vegetation itself that that I could do a whole project on it and if in fact I kind of am um so uh yeah like that's it's very powerful yeah, I mean, the intersection of the natural world and art in the way that, like, humans shape the natural world, but are also shaped by it. Like, that is a theme that we've also talked about many times in this show. There are a bunch of more things in this article that's in the show notes and everything for people to check out. But I am going to move on to looking at uh, some more art pieces. First of all, I guess we'll just stay, like, kind of still on the same topic. Because you may have noticed, like, it seems that all of those art pieces seem to be in a very similar style. Um, and that's because almost every piece that was included on that page was by the same artist. So I already mentioned uh, Slamin Mansur, um, who is kind of, like, the in many ways, the quintessential Palestinian artist. He was born in 1947. He's had a very long career. Um, He is still making art um, and speaking out about his people. And like a lot of the works that he's done have created these symbols and helped popularize these symbols. Um, And so like he he has an account on Instagram. I don't know if this this guy is personally running his Instagram account, but he, he has an account on Instagram where they post his art, which is really amazing to see um and i 
have a few links to them in the show notes um, where I'd love if you could just uh, open a couple of those links and just, you don't have to describe everything, but maybe say overall impressions and maybe describe your favorite. I was going to say earlier when describing that olive tree painting, um, they're quite like high fidelity, like as in like quite detailed um, in terms of in terms of the line work and the the shapes. Um, So like, you know, as opposed to some sort of like smooth oil painting, it seems like there's a lot of uh, detail and a lot of precision um, in the art. Um, One of one of the ones I clicked on, it seems like it's another tree but this looks like a orange tree perhaps um like you can see every single leaf on it um and this one uh, specifically has a has a woman who's hugging the tree um and then another one yeah has a looks like it has a dove with an olive branch um and another is a woman playing i am so sorry i don't know what that instrument is but it looks like a guitar (laughs) um and yeah, so um I think yeah, like I quite I quite like this art style. Um I think we did an episode on William Kirillik, the Canadian artist. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Um so I mean it's not it's obviously still quite different, but Kirillik has this very detailed like even things in the f- uh far background, you can kind of see like little buildings and this is kind of similar and yeah, like overall I like I just something about this type of detail really draws me in. Yeah, I think that's a lute, by the way. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> very similar to a guitar. Yeah. I love the way that the people especially are painted where they seem so, they're so realistic on some way, but also like particularly stylized. I think there's something, especially the way that their faces and necks are drawn, where if they are looking up in a piece, it's like they are looking up at a full almost a 180 degree angle where it's just like everywhere that a person is looking in one of his pieces is like a very intense orientation of the body towards that thing um and i think it oh, oh so much of these pieces is also like it's uh there's a softness to them and yet an intensity um in the perspective that i think like really meshes artistically yeah the people like you said are it's abstracted to an extent um but it's almost like you can you can like see more into like what they're feeling or thinking like through these like body kind of kind of like contortions but not not exactly like it doesn't seem like a body horror kind of thing the way a depiction of a contortion might be in in other contexts like it um, it just seems like a, an additional level of stylization where they're so close to realistic, but there's these little things um, that I, I guess kind of alienate the viewer, but not alienate in a bad way, just like um, create a sense of like, it, it makes you look at it longer. Yeah, I think definitely like a lot of these, a lot of these works, there's, it seems like there's so much going on in in the paintings that like these are the these are the types of paintings that I can spend like an hour looking at yeah and I just love the color as well they there is something they're like all a bit desaturated um and they have different color schemes but you can also see like there's just there's detail work that's done with the color to make everything have so much texture um 
and it really rewards looking at it for a long time. So I'm going to move on now from these like very uh, traditional emblematic pieces um, to something a bit different, um, which is a whole artistic project and documentary called Picasso in Palestine. Uh, so Mansour is going to come up later in this story, um, but we're going to primarily be talking about an artist named uh, Khaled Harani, who who also actually helped create slash popularize the symbolism of watermelon in art. Um, this is, uh, we're talking about a, all kind of like contemporary art history, so all these people are very intersecting, but Harani uh, was the artistic director of the Palestinian Academy. Uh, and he said that it, this initially started as a joke where he was like, why shouldn't a Picasso go to Palestine? Um, and and we mean that literally not, I mean, not a literal like Picasso, the person, um, <laughs> but a, a Picasso piece exhibited in Palestine. And like, it is extremely common for international museums to do loans, to have pieces exhibited in other places. Like this is just a very normal standard part of the art world and so he said like why should you know why shouldn't this world-class piece of art um, be displayed in Palestine and then he said you know what it's not a joke we're gonna do it and they said they specifically picked Picasso because he was a very political artist Picasso is not like my favorite artist (laughs) but I (laughs) but I also like very very much understand the amount of international symbolism that he holds as one of the most famous artists in the world. Also, mm-hmm. there's alliteration. Love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and so this took two years to have this happen, but it did happen. Um, it was the piece a Buste de Femme, um, which costs uh, is valued at $7.1 million dollars. Um, and it was brought from a prominent uh, Dutch museum, uh, Van Abba Museum, uh, to be exhibited at the International Academy of Art Palestine. Um, and this was the very first time that a quote-unquote European masterpiece was ever publicly displayed in the West Bank. This was in 2011 also. Um, they had to talk to multiple insurance companies to try to find someone who would insure this. They tr- were, they had to figure out if it was even legal to do. Um, at the time, Palestine was governed by the 1993 Oslo Accords, um, and there wasn't actually anything specific about the jurisdiction of art coming into the country because that was not something that was accounted for um, in those accords, which is just like... Another thing that's really telling about the respect for art. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And then there was like a lot of, it was was a very long, difficult journey to get this piece brought in. um, But the whole idea was uh, just to really drive home a point, which is um, the West Bank in Palestine was a place that is worthy of international art. And to draw attention to like how difficult things that are so normal in other places are so difficult in this place. Yeah, I mean, I guess like you know when I worked at the art gallery and oh, and obviously including now, like I always talk about how important it is to to go to the art gallery, and you know it's there. It costs some money, but there are free nights, and I spent so much time there, and 
But of course, like, yeah, like not not everyone has access to that. And not just that some people live in remote places. Some people literally live in places where they that's just not a thing that exists. And um, like, I think, you know, we take it for granted that we have these galleries that have so much art. And yeah, like some people never go to them. I'm not saying everyone has to, but I'm just saying, like, considering this, (laughs) that, you know, there's a lot of people who, yeah, like would would just never have access to to just see even just seeing art in general. Um, And the fact that we even have that ability is you know, it's precious. Yeah. At the time, there was another Picasso painting that was 20 kilometers away from this one. Um, But it was in Jerusalem. It was completely inaccessible for most Palestinians to go and view it, even though it was so geographically close to them. When they actually were able to bring it in a display, um, only two people could go at a time. Um, This was actually because of the humidity in the room. Um, So, uh, there was like an art conservation level to this, um, but this was a this was a huge deal. Obviously, um, like all the d- diplomats and ministers and all these artists were coming to see it. Um, and, cl- and the very first person who got to see it was uh, Slimin Munster, who we were just talking about. He f- helped found Gallery Seventy Nine, which was in the very same building um, three decades earlier. Uh, but then Gallery 79 was banned um, by the Israeli military. I will say also, like, as I as I did mention earlier, um, Hirani has made, like, a lot of his own art um, as well. So this is more of a talking about, like, something that is almost a – this is almost a piece of performance art um, to display this and to make public, like, how difficult it was to get. Um, and they did make a documentary about it called Picasso in Palestine, um, which, like, really, really documents um, this whole journey of the painting and everything that it took to get it displayed on any level. And I think that the fact that they were, like, uh, prescient enough to have this documentary made um, and to share the story in a way that it was able to be publicized internationally, uh, made it one of the most prominent contemporary art stories coming out of Palestine um, for the last 20 years. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, when you started this episode, I definitely didn't think Picasso was going to make an appearance. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, like, it's it's true. Like, in a way, this was a performance. This was a, like, this is a, yeah, this is a work of contemporary art. <laughs> it's interesting, because I do think that now that I'm thinking about it, I think so much of contemporary art can be classified as like partially performance art, even if it's not, because so much of the point of and I can all art, I guess, arguably, but I think especially in contemporary art is that it is about like establishing a relationship with the audience, evoking an emotion with the audience. And a lot of times the creation of the art is part of the art it's not just look at this finished product it's here's what was going on while I was making this here are the circumstances under which I made it um to be part of like the ultimate experience of that piece yeah and I think similar to when on our last episode we talked about some of the Australian um aboriginal art like one of the sand works a part of it was literally the artist like standing on top of their work like telling the audience about it and and you know talking about the work so like uh, in a way like sharing yeah like sharing of the art was directly a part of the experience yeah 
And that actually goes really smoothly into the last uh, artwork that I want to feature today, um, which is a project called 100 Days of Solitude, um, which was created by the artist uh, Nita Badwan. She is the youngest artist that we're talking about today. She was born in 1987, um, and she lived in Gaza from the time she was in sixth grade um, up through, I'm actually not entirely sure when she left Gaza, um, but sometime after 2013, because that is when this (laughs) project was made. Um, She now lives in Italy. But in 2013, when she started this project, she was 26 years old, and she was uh, living in Gaza, which is an extremely difficult place to live I think to say the least Um, and how she chose to cope with that emotionally and artistically was to isolate herself in her room and as she said it like to create an alternate reality where she could live she uh, lived for 20 months in self-imposed exile Um, she did say that like she chose to begin this isolation after she was abused by members of Hamas. Um, and when she could find no escape in the outside world, she chose to create her own. Um, and while she did this, she did 25 self-portraits, photographic self-portraits um, of the world that uh, she created in her room. Um, yeah, so I'm looking at some of these now and they're, uh, yeah, for, I was going to ask, I was like, are these paintings or are these photos? Cause they look very photorealistic, but, um, the photos are, they're really vibrant in terms of colors. Um, like I, one of the first ones, it looks like she's sitting on a bed with, um, I'm not sure if those are fruits or onions in her hand or in the plate and in her hand. And there's lettuce um, and a really colorful um, quilt like bed sheet and like a wall that's green. Um, But yeah, like everything in this picture is um, like very vibrant um, and colorful. But I guess as opposed to the earlier works with the orange where there was quite a lot of positivity, it seems like these ones are very somber despite the colorfulness like this one she has her head in her hand and it looks like she's crying yeah and then the next one it looks like she's like lying on on the bed with um newspaper over her face um i mean not all of all of these not all of these are sad looking but um but it uh definitely yeah it seems like the, the there's like a dark um contrast that's going on in most of the photos and obviously you know it is about being in isolation and solitude so it's probably not going to be the most uh, uplifting um but yeah like they're very like beautiful and colorful and and looks like like she's always in some sort of like gesture um in the photos i think there's something very feminine about this work as well where with i think the use of her color and like the choices of what she's doing in each picture I think that she's really drawing attention to herself as a woman um like there's one where she's like doing makeup she's sewing she's doing ballet um she's depressed very feminine activities um and (laughs) this uh these works um have been quite successful uh they've been 
um, exhibited all over the West Bank and as well as internationally was shown, uh, like it, it's been shown all over the place, including in the U.S. Um, but when they, it was first exhibited, it was shown in the al Hosh Palestinian Art Court um, in Jerusalem. Um, and she was not permitted to enter Israel um, for the opening of her own exhibition. Um, so she left her home for the first time uh, at the opening of the exhibition to go to an internet cafe so that she could access the internet and attended it over Skype. But she was not allowed to go and, and see her own works on the walls. Yeah, I mean... It actually kind of it reminds me um, when I worked at the IWA exhibition at the AGO in 2013 or 2014, um, and uh, he actually had to he was on Skype um, or like whatever whatever it was um, when when we did the opening for for his show. So, um, but yeah, still like in his case, it was you know, it was very far, like across an ocean that he couldn't go to also because he didn't, he had his passport taken by the government. But in this case, she was much more geographically closer, but, you know, still couldn't go. Just another example of evaluation of art over an artist, um, even when their art is about how they are devalued and forced to live in a place that is hostile to them. Yeah, I just kind of uh, scroll down a little bit on the page and um, I noticed, yeah, I I was going to say like some of these paintings or sorry, some of these photographs remind me of like Dutch paintings, which is why I was like, are these paintings? Um, I like uh, mostly because of like the contrast, uh, like there's, it seems like in a lot of Dutch paintings, there's always like a spotlight on a person and then like it's they're partially or they're lit, but the background is dark. Um. But I, I'm reading in the article, it's, it is saying that, like, it's interesting that um, in a lot of these, like, European, like, Dutch paintings, um, as well as, like, other, other European paintings, like, the sort of the romanticized um, feminine painting, a lot of it is, you know, the, the person is exhausted. Uh, exhaust- exhaustized exoticized that is what i was trying to say okay the person is exoticized and also um or and also you know objectified that's that was the word i was looking for um but in these works it's interesting because she actually her gaze is never at the camera and so never at the viewer whereas a lot of these um like you know female nudes and paintings and like european art the you know the woman is always like looking directly at you whereas in this case she's always turned away so it's interesting because it's like it reminds me of those like european dutch paintings but it's very different that is such an interesting comparison to make because yeah i do think like it, it emphasizes her solitude so much where it doesn't seem like we are in the room with her it really feels like we're very separated um it seems like she's not even aware that there's anything viewing her because she is alone Well, as I said in the beginning, this is only just the lightest brush across all of the Palestinian art that is out there. These are three of like the most famous artists and art pieces um, that have come out of Palestine um, in recent decades. And I just thought they would be nice as like an introductory thing. Um, But 
All the links that are in the show notes will have a lot more information, people, if you are interested um, in exploring more, um, which I really encourage you to do. There is so much to discover and, and every connection that we make uh, with and every connection that we make with art, I think, makes it more urgent and more makes it more important for us uh, to protect these people um, and the creations that they make. Yeah, thank you so much for introducing me to these. And, you know, similar to the last topic, these are artists and art, um, like art history topics that I personally don't know very much about. But yeah, like I definitely want to want to learn more. That is ultimately like that is what we try to do with this show is always trying to to learn new things um, and to explore topics that we didn't know about before. And so I could not think of a more worthy topic for this uh, final regular episode of pictorial yeah so next one is the final final next one is the final um in the meantime uh, we do post the images of everything that we talked about today um, in our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial as well as on our instagram at pictorial pod um, i'm also on instagram at quinster rose and I'm also on Instagram as Articulations V, and I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we do have a YouTube channel, Pictorial Podcasts, where you can see visual versions of these audio episodes. Um, again, this one may be coming out um, after the show is over, but um, I encourage you to continue following the YouTube channel so you can look at some nice art. Thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.